This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 10th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Letting localities opt out of government regulation of red tape could be a way of revitalizing much of Latin America. Senator Rand Paul thinks it will work for Detroit as well. But leap zones, an idea promoted by Mark Klugman, would allow localities to change their legal, economic, administrative, and political regimes. And it's an idea he says is getting results. We spoke last week. A leap zone is a tool for increasing faster, producing faster economic growth with less conflict. It's a way of very quickly, in comparatively small areas of, of land, of ramping up institutional uh, uh, function and competitiveness. The word LEAP is an acronym, Legal, Economic, Administrative, Political, Jurisdictions. We talk sometimes about special economic, single word, economic zones. A LEAP zone, it's not one thing, it's four things. It's legal. Who are the courts? Who are the judges? Is there rule of law? It's the second thing, economics. Yes, what are your taxes? What is your tariffs? It's a third thing, administration. Is it providing transparency and efficiency, or is it corrupt? Is it inefficient? Does it move at the speed of markets and technology in the 21st century, or does it move at the speed of politics and bureaucracy in 20th century third world countries? And the final leg, the P, political, the governance model. Is this all going to be washed away the next time there's an election? What is the guarantor that there will be transparency under rule of law and that the rules of the game will be maintained and respected. Legal, economic, administrative, political. I think a lot of us tend to overemphasize the economic leg. So we hear about special economic zones, free trade zones, zona franca. There are about 3,500 such zones in the world. That's great. This is not it. This goes far beyond it. You have some other examples, for example, in Dubai, the International Financial Center, where we could say they have a second leg. It's a special economic model, but they also understood that they needed a special legal judicial model. So they created a new court in Dubai at the International Financial Center that operates under British common law. They formed a new bench where they brought in very highly respected senior magistrates from the UK, New Zealand, and Singapore. So that's what I call institutional leapfrogging. You have a similar arrangement in Hong Kong after the handover. It's a different judiciary in Hong Kong than in mainland China. So you have a special economic zone in China with different economic rules, but it's the same courts. It's the same political governance model. You have Hong Kong. Why is Hong Kong so much more prosperous than the special zones in China? Well, because a special zone in China is a chair with one leg. It's an economic leg. Hong Kong, it's a different judiciary. It's a different economic model. It's a different system of administration. It's a different political regime. It's based on the basic law and the treaties with the UK. So Hong Kong is a leap zone. It's not a special economic zone. It's a leap zone. And that's why it's so much more prosperous, that and other factors. So how are these things created? How would they be created in... Uh in a Latin American country, in the United States even? Well, in the case of Honduras, where I began over 10 years ago working with with some of the uh, political leaders in Honduras to move this forward, to create leap zones there, it's actually been done. This year, Honduras re- reformed its constitution 
to create these special jurisdictions that are legal, economic, administrative, political zones. And they also approved, and I'm a co-author of, a organic law, the equivalent of what in Hong Kong is called the basic law, sort of the internal constitution for the special zones. And they have formed an implementation uh, uh, commission with three commissioners. I'm one of the three commissioners, the only non-Honduran. And Octavio Sanchez, a lawyer, brilliant. Ebal Diaz, a lawyer, brilliant. Uh, are, are, the, are, the, are, are the Honduran leaders in carrying this out. And the current outgoing president, Porfirio Lobo, who I first presented this to 10 years ago, and the newly elected president, Juan Orlando Hernandez, who's been the president of the Congress, have been the prime movers in getting this to happen in Honduras. So there's a tremendous uh, change that's taking place. But what's great about leap zones is it's not about conflict. It doesn't impose change on an entire country. It focuses us on comparatively tiny areas of land that, as I like to say, are too small and too empty to fight over. Is that a new idea? No. That's what Deng Xiaoping in China understood. It's not just that Deng Xiaoping in China had different economic ideas than Chairman Mao. Mao imposed his ideas on top of the entire population and territory. In 1980, Deng Xiaoping could have said, I'm going to impose my ideas on a billion people and force it through the Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party. If he had tried to do that, he would have quickly been pushed out of power. He might have been pushed out of a helicopter. He would have disappeared so fast none of us would know his name. What he did instead, which actually worked and actually transformed China, is he said, listen, billion people, listen, Central Committee, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to go far from the center of power to these little fishing villages. The most well-known one is Shenzhen, Xinjiang, uh, adjacent to Hong Kong. At that point, essentially, no one was there. 30,000 people in a country of a billion. Empty space is the way it felt at the time. Today, it's 11 million people. They came there voluntarily, and there are over 100 special zones in China. But it was possible for him to do it because it wasn't conflictive. He didn't uh, take away from interest groups what they currently had and were going to fight about. He didn't impose changes on people who hadn't bought into those changes. The whole model that we have been using where our big idea is that we have great ideas and therefore what we need to do is get to become 51% so we can force our ideas down the throat of 49% who still don't get it until they become 51% and then they roll it back and force their ideas down our throat. That's not what Deng Xiaoping did. And that's not what Honduras is doing, and that's not what leap zones are about. What leap zones are about is to say, listen, if your ideas are as good as maybe they are, people will choose it who share that view, that not everyone agrees about everything. And that on a basis of self-selection, people who say, I really like what that is, and I want to be part of that, they move to the special economic zones of China. And I would expect that a similar process can take place in Honduras. Whereas people who say, that's not what I'm interested in, they'll just keep going on and doing what they're doing. Is it appropriate to think of these leap zones as sort of a, a, an institutional framework franchise? Well, institutional is the key word. The, the, the essential concept of is institutional leapfrogging, which is a, a phrase I coined. Paradoxically, it's almost the opposite of technological leapfrogging. Technological leapfrogging is to say, you know, if you have a country that's never had a phone system with copper wires underground, 
don't go and move through the normal sequential evolution of that technology. Find the latest cutting-edge version of digital wireless and begin with that. And then you'll have a new poor country which has a more thoroughly modern telecom system. That's technological leapfrogging. It's about what's new. Institutional leapfrogging is almost the opposite. It's about saying to create institutions is slow. To create highly credible institutions takes a period of time that exceeds a human lifespan. We need to produce results in much shorter periods of time. A new government comes in, they don't have 500 years to deliver a credible judicial system. So when Lee Kuan Yew takes Singapore to independence in 1965, he didn't say that his goal was to one day achieve a world-class judicial system. He said, that's going to be my starting point. He was a British-trained lawyer. And in 1965, he could go to investors and say, my country is three minutes old, but we have a judicial system that's 500 years old and is the best in the world. Because what he did was to use the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council in London, the law lords, Englishmen with wigs, as his Supreme Court. And he kept that for 20 years until he was scoring top marks on the ratings on transparency. And he was able to say to the UK, thank you, we don't actually need this anymore. And he had created a judicial culture within his own country that drew upon that. That's institutional leapfrogging through outsourcing. When Hong Kong was handed over to China in 1997, they weren't going to have it be swallowed up in the mainland People's Republic of China judiciary. So they used institutional leapfrogging through insourcing. They constituted a special judiciary in Hong Kong, but they drew upon the institutional and cultural legacy of British courts. In many cases, the same people who had been working in the British-controlled judiciary of colonial Hong Kong. Same thing that was done in the Dubai International Financial Center. In Botswana and Lesotho, institutionally frogging through insourcing as they have appellate benches where they draw upon distinguished, retired South African judges. It's a model that gets used in many ways through CAFTA, Free Trade Agreement, and NAFTA. They do institutional leapfrogging through outsourcing. They use the ICSID, the Dispute Resolution Forum, seated at the World Bank through arbitration. Uh, in the case of Honduras, we had meetings a couple of weeks ago with the President and Secretary General of the International Court of Arbitration, which is very highly respected. It's part of the International Chamber of Commerce in, in Paris. So it's by using mechanisms that give you very quickly institutional uh, effectiveness and credibility, not by copying someone else's institution, but by actually using it. How might this be applied in the United States? Uh, as we speak, uh, Rand Paul, the junior senator from Kentucky, uh, has been talking about uh, applying some similar idea, I think, to Detroit. At this point, we don't know that much about it, but how would you apply that kind of idea to a city like Detroit? The, the LEAP framework is a, is a policy analysis tool and a policy design tool. It permits you to take a proposal and gives you a checklist to evaluate it, or it gives you a template for designing a policy. So the way we would go through the case of Detroit, and I actually did this with some people from Detroit who were interested, we'd say, okay, the legal judicial dimension, is the court system, is that a serious impediment? Or is there a competitive advantage as an opportunity? So you might say, well, there is this whole issue of tort liability. If we think that there's a basis to create 
a, a system that functions better or that's based on, on, on arbitration as opposed to judicial processes, maybe there's some upside there. The economic model, well, sure, taxes, regulation. If we make those things more agile and competitive, absolutely beneficial. The regulatory framework, if there's a way to, at least in part, escape the heavy hand of Washington, the OSHA, EPA, uh, all of the burdensome regulations that can be very slow and expensive in compliance, that would be tremendous. And really, isn't the failure in Detroit a governance failure, that there's been irresponsible management by a series of elected governments there? Well, in fact, you have governance models in the United States that are different models. For example, in uh, New York and New Jersey, a man named Robert Moses created something called the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. It's not, it, it's, it's, it, it manages things like the George Washington Bridge and the throughways and the uh, airports, Kennedy Airport and Newark Airport, enormously critical infrastructure, and it's not through the direct management of a politicized uh, administration. There's a strong board. The Federal Reserve Board, those are 14-year terms. So you have all sorts of frameworks of development corporations, municipal development corporations, of public-private partnerships, of strong depoliticized authorities. So I would say to, to cobble together something where it's not a random bet on whether we can see in the case of Detroit whether we do a better job with the next mayor and city council than we did with the last several some of whom are facing uh, uh, criminal proceedings, as I understand it. So I, I, would, I would suggest that, that there's a lot of uh, opportunity using a, a, a LEAP analysis, legal, economic, administrative, political analysis. If you took a pure Jack Kemp enterprise zone model, you'd be going back to the chair with one leg, the economic leg. I suggest you need a chair with four legs, and you need to go down and look at the four things. I think what, what enterprise zones think about gets things right on the economic leg, but if you stop there, you're probably missing some of the most important pieces. It's not all about zeroing out taxes or lower taxes. It's A lot of it is about regulation, but also it's about creating a system of administration that is more efficient and transparent, where you don't have to work with uh, either slow or corrupt or inefficient bureaucracies to try and get your permits, where you don't have cronyism involved in, oh, gee, so we're going to be getting tax credits if we invest here, but will it be you who get a tax credit? Because you have a cousin who is good friends with the government commission that decides who get the tax credits, or you made a campaign contribution to the guy who just won the last election. Maybe you get the tax credits. That's not a great development model. That's a third world development model, which in fact is present in the first world around the world. And I'm not well acquainted with Detroit, but I would venture that what they have there probably contains some of those features as well. I think we can do a lot better than that. Mark Klugman is a visiting professor at Universidad Francisco Marroquin and a former speechwriter to Presidents Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. You can subscribe to our magazine, Regulation, at our website, cato.org.